like instead of, he went for gold instead of uh, uh, whatever you like the gold alternative instead of a starting pack, and he bought like a cow, a wagon, and like herbs and spices and shit, and he just like played as the cook. Was the combat, but like his main thing is like I'm the cook. Was he? As they went along, he got chickens, and he just set up this whole thing. Right? Was he a wizard or something? You know, interesting? Like I don't remember oh, what class was he playing. I, th I think he might have been a monk. Like okay. from Tibet? Actually, let, let me just check. Hey, oh hey, my god! Like, holy crap! So, so Ben, when he comes back, just go to the intro, man. So it's fantastic. Well, you could do it now. He's being. Yeah. If we spoke his language, we could actually see if he's doing it or if he's just bullshitting. I just, I don't speak Russian. So. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to the Dresden Files podcast. Allegedly. So, <laughs> this is actually a podcast on what D&D &D okay. class one of our friend was. He was, he was a rogue. Very Good. nice to start the podcast while Good. Mystery self. We started the podcast like four minutes ago. Like that entire conversation... Like, I think from the sheet all the way yeah. up till now, like, yeah. So, so it's called situational awareness, Lana. <laughs> Fail. He was busy remembering that succulent chicken he yeah. fake ate in D&D. <laughs> hey, let's not hate on the imaginary role-playing now. Like, <laughs> uh, All right, so. Well, welcome to the Dresden Files podcast. We're talking about the Dresden Files, the Dresden Files, and not uh, the D&D stuff. Consider that a... Advertisement for that D and D podcast will be advertising later. Great. <laughs> Dresden Files. Uh, the latest Dresden Files book, Peace Talks, which is not out, is up to chapter sixty and has been uh, for almost a month. Hurrah! So chapter sixty, certainly the longest book, and that it might be done and just working on the uh, working mm. on the uh, polish. So that's hopeful. Now he didn't tweet the, end, tweet the end. Right. But he might be working. He did on not the tweet anything. And even Priscilla has been like mysteriously not commenting on it, right? So, and she said a chapter or two ago, there's still so much left that has to happen, right? So, take it as indication that there's more she, chapters incoming, right? She doesn't think it's done. So, because the the last thing we had, and I I think we talked about it last show, is that he took a, a brief break to write a short story, um, and then like theoretically he's going to get back to it. We just haven't heard anything since, as far as I know. So. He's Maybe. actually rewriting season eight of Game of Thrones for us, so please send your thank yous to him. But he needs to rewrite more like season seven through eight. At Wait, least. Look, we seven. can't expect him to work miracles. Just let him have yes, I a can. successful conclusion to this. <laughs> oh, I can, can expect him to work all sorts of miracles. Not if we haven't gotten the book yet. I think I think, the, I think uh, D and D or or George R. R. Martin needs to get a hold of Sanderson. Yeah, the problem was so Butcher's writing peace talks, right? And then he he painted himself into a corner with this whole gold company and the dragons thing. He's just not really sure how to work that out. And I'm just spitballing here. Am I even close? Like, yeah, yeah. All right. Gold anyway. company might as well just be red shirts, right? 
Well, obviously they're they're the super elite dudes, right? So they've got to die in thirty five seconds. Oh God, it was so pitiful. Oh, I'm just over here like mashing buttons. This is fantastic. <laughs> I haven't seen past episode one, so if anybody's getting upset about this right now, even better. So, <laughs> right. Okay. Um, we don't got time for this shit. We got twenty chapters. We got, to a, we got a whole bunch to cover. Yes, changes part two. We're starting kind of in the middle of chapter 19, and we hope to get through chapter 40 because we managed almost 20 chapters last time. We'll try to do that this time. Yeah, part two of 11. Let's go. <laughs> All right. So basically, it seems that we stopped in the point of Harry trying to summon a, whole, a bunch of friends and get help and trying to find Maggie. And it doesn't really work, so he calls Kincaid to demand information from Ivy, and Ivy tells him to talk to the man he'd like to talk to the least, which is Marcone. Right. And there's this whole, like, you know, him badgering Kincaid, being like, I know she's got the information, and Kincaid's like, dude, she physically can't tell you. It's yeah. not that she doesn't want to, she just literally can't, and you should fucking know that, because you're a wizard. So. Yeah, and something about a gray notebook. Right. Right. Which I, I love that. So, but yes, go go talk to the person you'd like to talk to least. It's Marcone, and they meet at Burger King because it's Dresden, and that's fantastic. Oh, we get something out of it. So many Burger Kings in this book, right? Well, it's it's what's keeping his morale going, right? So, I think it's mentioned just the three times, uh, but it is it is brought up a lot, isn't it? Just, I mean, come on, he's probably been to Burger King three times in the rest of the series, right? Like, I suppose that's true. <laughs> I mean, we get that how people talk like that he goes to Burger King often, but actually, while the books are going on, it doesn't happen that much. Well, yeah. while the but books are going on, he usually doesn't have time enough for sleep, much less eating. Yeah, he should well, take, that's take why care of himself. Oh, no, in every book, he has time for sleep. He just collapses unconscious three books before, or three chapters before the ending of a book, right after the climax. Yeah, that's no, not exactly right, sleep. That's kind of more like a coma. If it's a big one, because he needs energy. That's true. That's true. Right. So, so he's there with Marcone. There's, of course, their dialogue is fantastic. I only noted and really remember the one line. So, if there's anything else that's pertinent there. Well, uh, Harry's doing his best to piss off Marcone. Marcone just doesn't really care. And breakfast biscuit, mostly. Right. There's a lot of thing about the biscuit. Right. It's so good. Do you want some? You know, um, but I, I forget the I forget the quip that Dresden makes that you know feeds the line basically. But uh, you know, Marcone gets into you know it's like, well, wait a minute, like you know I didn't. Oh, it was blowing up his building, right? So it's mm -hmm. like um, you know, and he's like, well, I didn't profit from it financially or politically, and you survived. It was a complete waste. <laughs> so. Oh, and then the, the the great line. Uh, I guess it it won't hurt for to have you try to get rid of one of my enemies, uh, and you'll probably get yourself killed because you're so irrational. You have all those compulsions. Uh, I don't have to lift a finger to kill you. You'll just die eventually, which is wonderful. Because it's, it actually does happen. It also, it also goes. It also goes back to the first book, right? Like he yeah. he wanted Dresden to sign on, and he said, "Look." All I have to do is nothing at this point because you're going to take care of this guy anyway, or he's going to take care of you. But either way, I win. <laughs> you know? Right, Xanatos Gambit. Yeah, that'd be too. He's like, but you're going to go up against them. I'm good. Right. He's doing the thing that he has done several times of just giving Harry the help that he needs to go be the destructive force that he already is, mm -hmm. which is the same thing that we see with Vatteron, sort of. 
Yeah, but Vaterung wants him to win is the difference. Like, Marcone probably wants him to win on some level. Like, he'd probably rather Dresden win, but, like, yeah. Vaterung actually wants Dresden to win, you know? Yeah. Like, and Marcone hates people who hurt kids. Right. And the Red Court's hurting a kid. Well, that's fair. Yeah. I, d I hadn't considered that angle, but definitely. I'm sure that goes into, into it on some level. Definitely. So. And Dresden just never, ever wants to admit it. Right. And then, I mean, so basically the whole genesis of the conversation is Marcone has Faderung's contact information, so he's able to get Dresden, you know, an audience through guard, basically. Yeah. So. And he says he won't, guard says he won't speak of it over the line. He says you have incurred no debt with him for asking the question. To Marcone. Yes. So, yeah. It's interesting, the idea of incurring debt just by asking a question because oh, usually it's like, I need a thing, let's bargain, and then whatever. So it's it's not like, I don't know, it seems different. Like even a she wouldn't do it quite that way. Yeah, but it's they're also a consultancy, right? Like knowledge is their power. You know, obviously they've got the the uh, Einer yarn and all of that stuff. But, um, you know, like literally it's, you know, it's the old joke of lawyers. Like you get three questions and then whatever. It's like, well, how many questions do I get? And how much is it? And what time can we start? It's like, cool, my bill will be a hundred dollars. Thank you, you know, so. But uh, yeah, anyway, long story short, you know, like guard guard funds, the home office, like you said, and then they go through the never, never and go through. They do a couple of uh, legs for it and they go through a gigantic tree. Weird. Wonder what that is. Right. Couldn't possibly Probably be some nothing. kind of world tree or something. Yeah. Some kind of Yggdrasil or, you know, whatever. There you go. That was very good. That was almost authentic. <laughs> and then Guard has this little, uh, when we, they get the drop on Einherjar, it's like just a little bit of alcohol and all discipline goes out the window. Right, right. Yeah, so they, they come in through the basement, right? Through presumably the uh, Nordic underworld. Um, and uh, they're all there with like regular weapons waiting to get the drop on whatever comes through. And yeah, her little quip about discipline is fantastic, so. Give yep. him a little slip of renewed mortality and 4,000 years of discipline go right out the window. Yeah. And then they go up and up and up the tower of everything they could possibly be prepared for. Mm -hmm. Magic room and like an aviary and gun room. Well, and there's there's like cells, aren't there? Like, you know, that's what I thought was kind of interesting too, is like they get close to, you know, the ground floor or whatever, and there's like cells. And I don't remember if he saw anything in them or if they were just empty or whatever, but I was like, that's that's kind of interesting. Like, what would they be keeping in there? No, it was just shadowy presences. Okay. So. Nothing to see here. Right. You know, yeah. obviously, it just means that that part of Vatarung's world is connected to the other side of Demon Reach, and those are the inmates. <laughs> yeah, except that, I mean, Demon Reach, they're in crystals and stuff, so. He's not as ornate. Right. When he gets to the to the top and Hugin and Moonen is sitting there with like is that is it a suggestion that there's like a lot more advanced technology in the Dresden files, or is it like magic technology they're kinda using? Probably some pseudo magic considering they are fulfilling their mythical 
roles. Yeah, I mean, even the, even when he goes and talks to Vaterung and he, he's got that like cloud computer in front of him and he tells him it's, you know, <laughs> do you want me around that? It's going to blow. And he kind of laughs at him. He's like, I'll take my chances. Right. And it's kind of like the Marvel version of uh, of the Norse stuff where like magic and science are just kind of this fused thing. Right. I could I could see that easily. Yeah. Hey, Justin, and, why aren't you wearing your Monarch security shirt? Because I didn't think of it. So. You totally should have. Right? This is where we get the huge description of what the symbol is and all of the various things that go into it. Bah. This is why people say we're not professional. Right? Totally Fire. not. Hold on. I'll just leave it in the middle of the show. I'll just start stripping right now. And You know what? Go ask about your last campaign and come back with some vital information while you're at it, please. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Hold on, I gotta yell at somebody from sixteen hundred miles away. Hello, hey dudes, the guys that I play D with. <laughs> Make sure you don't do it in English though, because otherwise we'll know what you're talking about. Uh I hey Len, does that work? Uh, for me. So yeah, he's got his cloud computer. Like I, I made a specific note for all the haters that, you know, every time Dresden sees some girl, it's always like unbelievably hot, right? But he doesn't think so about the crows. So, you oh, know, you yeah, they're that. just extremely like, dangerous. Like black eyes. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, but of course, he has to insult them even though guard's about to blow. It's yeah. like don't the get wisdom of my ass. The wisdom of my ass is well known. They'd feel insulted if I didn't lip off to them. Exactly. So. Yeah, there's there there's some pretty interesting tidbits. What, what were you going to say? And I was just going to cover some bullet points. So, um, I mean, if you want to cover bullet points, fine. I was, I was just going to try to push us along. Right. So, just some some of the some of the interesting parts of the conversation, like he talks about that his children are scattered around the world, right? And that they've they've been so since the the Jotuns retreated, um, which I was like, well, that's that might be the first reference we have because other than that, I think they were referenced in end, uh, even hand. I almost called it end game. That's a, a much more different thing. Uh, so they're they're referenced in even hand, and then of course they're re they're going to be a player in peace talks finally. So um, which, that, which which god is uh, is the rock? What what? Like Mr. Johnson, like, yeah, like Johnson, yeah. but he did he did Hercules in a movie as, as I recall. Yeah, but I was like, which god is he from the Northampton? Because they're like they're doing wrestling, right? Isn't that going to be a book? So the uh, rock is clearly a Norse god. I don't think he can do straight up WWE for a variety of reasons. Right. Well, I mean, yeah, it's uh, it's like I mean, it's like that joke. movie, like that one with all the movie references. It's going to be movie references without saying the names. So there's going to be a guy like the Rock. It's sure. gonna be a Norse god. No, he'd be a Samoan god because he's Samoan. I I don't know, man. I I think I always pictured like luchadors or something, right? Like they've got, they're gonna wrestle with masks on and shit. Like not like that Triple would be, H that would be insanely on the nose. Would it? Yes, because masks. masks. Yeah. So you're telling me that he wouldn't do something so. You know, blase with like I think, know, a talking head for for a sidekick. I think it would be a little bit um, squiffy to be putting a variety of gods in what is very obviously one specific culture's kind of wrestling. Sure, but you know they would never so see it. Some coming, of them right? have masks. Some of them have capes. No capes. No, they have. But, 
I mean, like, so they're Norse, right? So are they all going to be like, you know, Chris Hemsworth, you know, before Endgame, or are they going to be, you know, like, I don't know. That's the thing. Like it, how are you, how are you going to hide after a point? Right. And that's the problem with quasi immortality anyway, is like, you know, like say Hulk Hogan is, is secretly Thor, right? We're going to notice when he's been around for 80 years, fucking wrestling, <laughs> like, you know, come on. Yeah, but I mean, let's face it, he's been around for the better part of 50 years wrestling already. I mean, you can do that. So, no, they just changed their wrestling mantle, mask slightly. Uh Slightly different tactics, and then they continue going. Presumably gods can, like... Or this is... Change appearance. Well, yeah, or this is just their most recent thing. I mean, professional wrestling hasn't been a huge thing forever. Sure. I'm sure they've done something in the past. This might just be their newest, you know thing like thor is easy he can play football every four five six years because he just has to go to a different college right fun all right any other tidbits we got out of there those were the the main ones so well yeah uh, adaron tells him everything he needs to know because he's a nice guy yeah he right. plays the, the, the the hospitality game very well right yeah and he crushes yeah. him with his will very well right <laughs> Also, the white donuts important. So mm-hmm. very important. Yeah. On the subject of the hospitality game, I thought it was interesting that it did. There wasn't all that much direct payoff. It wasn't like I played the hospitality game and somebody said very good, and then gave me a little key or a little trinket. No, it was just it just ended the chapter right there. Where well, um, so with Vaterung, he was expecting it to be an argument and a bargain, and Vaterung just yeah. gave the information, which he almost yeah. never ever does. Yeah, and, absolutely. And then the hospitality kind of binding it. It's like they are friends and this is how you be a good host, which is super crucial to Odin. When he plays the hospitality game with the Earl King, that's when he gets benefits. That's true. This is kind of a setup for that. I didn't think about that way. Uh, It's just an interesting day to all because usually uh, Butcher will have this, this high point, this high action ending the chapter. Oh, what happens next? But this just ends with him eating donuts, and the last word of the chapter is thoughtfully. And that's, that's almost out of character for the series and the techniques that Butcher tends to use in, in his in his uh, novels. But it, it's just another sign that this is, uh, in many ways, a culmination of all the things he's learned as yeah, a writer. Yeah, to be fair, like, like, he didn't he did just drop some bombs in that like conversation. Yeah. Because right. in uh, this, we learn Chichen Itza, we learn that it's a, a bloodline curse that's going to destroy all of the living relatives, and Harry's confused. Like, why would you waste that on one child and two single children, supposedly single children. Well, yeah. Vaterong knows that it's also going to lead to Ebenezer, right? I also think mm-hmm. Vaterong is giving this information because he has a vested interest in the whole, if not family line, which is my theory, that he's a descendant of Merlin, but at least uh, that teacher-to-student line. He started that line. Well, plus he's a member of the Great Council, so he has a vested interest in their leader. Yeah, I think it's like a personal interest because he, if nothing else, he taught the line that that, that wizard line. That's like they started with him. So they can't be smirch his name by dying with the stupid bloodline curse. <laughs> <laughs> that would would be so stupid. Nobody yeah. got time. <laughs> I was gonna say, could you imagine even the Red Corps is like you know it, they find out that Odin's backing them and they've actually insulted him this whole time. Right. They might but, have actually taken a second to him. But he, what he says to Justin is like, this is a mortal affair. I cannot interfere as a god. And so when he shows up, he's a wizard. 
He is a mortal, supposedly, wizard. Right. So, I, it, you know, different masks, well, different he has, he has a third right. man. He probably has hundreds. Do you not know your own histories? But this, the disguises on the mantles, that's just him being disguised. Call him Gaston Blindy. Is, is there a theory that Vaderung is Merlin? Vaderung is Merlin? I'm sure there has been. Uh, In fact, I'm almost certain there has been. I was going to jokingly suggest it, but you know. Yes. <laughs> oh, I'm seriously suggesting that. Well, you Who's see, Vaderung is actually Ebenezer's great-grandfather because he went back in time as Merlin thing Mrs. Merlin and then you know the whole that it's actually a little known fact that the White Council is just a bloodline descendant so it wasn't just going to get Ebenezer it was going to get the whole shebang even the European guys and and like the the ones from Africa and the Middle East all those guys they're all blood relatives somehow so because time travel I was trying to make a Targaryen joke and I'm not clever enough for it <laughs> All right, and we got to get out of here because I'm going to yep. trap myself in a pot. So that's not going to work. <laughs> 20 an minutes. Important, an important tidbit that gets brought up here that I think we could discuss now is uh, in what way? So, since this bloodline curse is a net reference to the very first book, which means like the Black Council is involved here somewhere, we never really, it's never really answered before the, the, the Red Court is annihilated. Like, what the black court influence there was black court what right so uh, victor cells yeah. and the heart bursting out of the chest in book one it's the same curse that they're doing at chichen itza but cells didn't have enough power to actually ha affect more than one person or two people target and pre presumably it originated with the red court and someone from the Black Council got it and was like, had Victor Cells tested out, and then now they're using it 10 years later. I'm just wondering. Oh, since the Black Council slash Nemesis slash mm -hmm. all that is this kind of one big hat of a faction that they're working together and working maybe at cross purposes, and some of them know it and some of them don't know it, but a lot of this stuff is going to be intermingled, I imagine. Well, um, could have been in a weird setup of trying to target Marcon in order to get more foothold in Chicago. Do you so, think, yeah. Do you think Jim was ever gonna gonna be like either in maybe in Q and A when he's done, or at some point in the book, it's kind of gonna be laid out? These were the players of the Black Council of Nemesis. I if it does, Harry's gonna figure it out almost certainly because that's that's the mo. But but to what you were talking about, like why why teach it to Victor Cells and all that stuff, right? Like that it's, goes. It's that a story goes, head, right? Like that was mentioned. That right. goes back to Cowl and Kamori, who have been there the whole time behind the scenes, setting Dresden up, and we don't know why yet, right? So that's why this this latest read through. I wanted to go back through that because, especially knowing stuff like Zude, where they were the players behind Mouse and his kin, that you know, like. There's, there's, we don't know yet, right? right? Like, they, they've, they've probably literally been the players the entire time. There's no, no reason they weren't teaching Victor black magic for unknown reasons. Still, gave the wolf belts, helped Bianca, dealt with Mouse, on and on and on and on and on. All of it was them. I said it before, but I'd where the first three books is about targeting Marcone. Ish. I mean, 
they're, again, I mean, Marcon is creating like, something stable, even if illegal, and they need it to be unstable because Chicago, as the gigantic confluence that it is with all the ley lines and, and ways and everything like that, it's also right next to the water, which is where the Fulmar are, and they're planning on bringing in. It's just, I almost feel like the Colin Kamori, the Black Council, is almost trying to build Harry up at first, but then he gets too much, like, he's too much trouble. No, because in Deadbeat, that's clearly not the case, right? Cowl is disappointed at Harry's power level because he expected him to be more powerful by then, by the time that they finally showed down and met. Cowl is disappointing. Yeah, but I kind of took that on, like, reflection that he was disappointed that this person he's been trying to build up was not stronger. He expected them to be stronger by now. But that's what I'm saying, right? Like, so, yeah, that they've been trying to build him up, and he he's not matching their expectations. I think some of that is that his legend is larger than it is, right? Because you see that again with Rashid in, um, in Turncoat where, you know, he's like, well, let's spin this a little bit and tell you what I've seen. And it's just like, oh, holy shit, I do totally look like a dark wizard, don't I? <laughs> yeah, he's, yeah, is this book as well where he's like, or or is it the one you're mentioning where he's like, but they're not just up against Harry dressed in wizard, they're up against... Right. Uh, yeah, that was Turncoat. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so anyway... Um, yeah, the, the Black Council's doing it and mostly through Cal and Kamori, but we just don't know why yet still. And there seems to be this weird parallel thing where they're building Dresden up, which the only thing that makes sense to me is that they want to use him for some reason, but we don't know why yet. You know, unless unless they're hoping that much like he, you know, fucks up with the swords or something like that, that he's going to become, quote unquote, the warden of Demon Reach and he's going to fuck that up somehow. You know, like it, the only parallel that I found for it in pop culture that I can think of is just the little tidbit from the first Hellboy movie where it's like, you know, he is the key to open the door for some reason. So yeah, they definitely feel like, right, like both the both sides, like white God side and Nemesis side of betting on him. Right. Well, and he's the fulcrum, right? I think Jim has said as much like Rashid was the guy last time. Harry's the guy this time. But. You know, how, was the guy last time, right? That am I? Am I in a parallel universe? I'm I don't sure remember anyone that. saying that Rashid was the fulcrum last time, but both Rashid and Vaderung said that Harry is the fulcrum in Cold Days. No, Jim has said that Rashid was essentially Harry. You know, however many years ago he was, the he was two thousand years ago when the last time this whole played down. Well, he was in yeah, Harry's 66. spot as the guy who was everything was happening to and with. Whether mm -hmm. that makes him a starborn or not, or just important, still and, undetermined. Right, and it, it ten sixty six was last time, and we already mm -hmm. know that Rashid cheats and time travels at least forward because he brought down Al Al, Al Hazred, right, and that was fourteen something, wasn't it? He so. just uses the quantum realm, <laughs> right? It's just because he's in. He spends most of the time in a place where it, like it goes a lot slower. Sure. Like at the wall, I assume. That's the loophole. Yeah, I mean, that, that would be the easy explanation for sure and totally legit, but we don't know. Like, if we were to speculate, that's the mechanism we've seen so far and, and why Rashid is just never around and then pops out for council meetings that he cares about, you know. So, anyway. That's a lot uh, of speculation, so. <laughs> yeah. Pushing forward. Yep. 
uh, they get back to Harry's apartment and he needs sleep, but he also finds that Susan and Martin are uh, compulsively organizing his entire apartment and he's trying not to freak out. <laughs> but they also describe the Ebes. Right. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Esteban, Esmeralda, they're complimentary insanities, husband, wife team. That's why it's easier to travel. Love, more like complimentary insanities. Yeah. Yep. And they figure out Eves had been the one to do the assassination attempt. And Harry springs on the Chichen Itza information to Susan. Susan kind of loses it a little bit and almost kills him. And Molly rightly tells Harry that he was being an idiot. Which he, Harry, as well as he often is, was oblivious. Yeah. Who would have thought? <laughs> Harry and the Dames, you know. <laughs> it's a good band name. <laughs> but it's, it's one of the moments that I really appreciate Molly in is when she's able to realize uh, things being done impulsively and is the person to criticize Harry. Because one of the things that drives me crazy in most books is when someone does something stupid or rash and then they never get criticized for it. It's like, that was really stupid and he should be criticized for it. Okay. Well, and you know, she also then uh, had her own little experience with almost letting Thomas eat her. So, yeah. Forthcoming. So, yeah. Well, I'm saying, you know, <laughs> it's, it's foreshadowing. Obviously, if you didn't see it coming, you're just an idiot. Oh, I see. Because that's how the world works. I see. So, I mean, it. What what happens between here and and the the attack at uh, Butthead's house, right? Because that's the next big thing that I can remember. Yeah, he talks to Murphy. He jokes yeah. about the FBI people on the other line, and he insults them as he can. And this mm -hmm. is the one with his poster, right? Where he's like. Yo, hey, can you tell the FBI that if they're watching my house, you know, to watch out for the, the poster? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's an original. You know? Yeah. So, so they go to McAnally's and they have sandwiches and talk. Right. And He's done about... a lot of eating in the last two hours now that I think about it. <laughs> like he had Burger King, then he had donuts, and now he's having Max. Like, dude, dude, dude should have had the itis by the time all this was rolling around. He's, uh, he's a runner, man. He, he'll put that off. Yeah, and now he's basically looking, he's tweaking, as Murphy points out, he's jittering all the way everywhere. Right. That's, that's what it, you know what, that's why there weren't any uh, sprinkles on the donuts, it was actually PCP. I was thinking it was like his 75th. Better on waste his teeth. So. Yeah, so Harry and Murphy talk about Rudolph and figure out uh, whatever might be going on with the craziness. They're putting pressure on Rudolph, and therefore they have to go stake out his house. Right. And wizards don't giggle. This is cackling. Yes. Yeah. Just like witches. <laughs> All right. And then they stake out Rudolph's house and Harry insults the shit out of it as much as he can. Harry, uh, pretty good piece of banter, right? They bang on for and it's much nicer than your house. And it's yeah. much nicer than my house. <laughs> Harry tries to sleep for a little bit, and then Thomas shows up, and they face off for half a second, and it says, like, hey, you're an uncle. It's like, no way. I would have known if they, it's like, oh, shit. Right. 
that's I mean, and that's kind of that's most of his wake up moment, right? Like he's still trying to be the angsty douchebag, you know, mm-hmm. because he's been hurt and been eating again and all of that stuff. But it that's that's the shortcut through whatever, right? It doesn't it doesn't fully resolve it because I think the Molly scene later you still see some of that, obviously, but you know, I think that that was the short circuit where you know we should have seen more payoff from Turncoat, but instead it was more like a shot in the face with cold water, and he's like, "Oh shit, <laughs> here yeah. I am being an angsty fuck." And you know, yeah, if I knew it was that important, I'd have shown up faster. I would have shown up faster. Right. So, right. So they're talking a little bit. They learn, or Thomas learns that his name is Maggie, and he's very happy with that name, and learning the bloodline curse and there's a question of what's going to happen to the other race they're probably going to be safe but who knows maybe they all die yeah i think bob might have said something at one point i can't fully remember that it basically would have killed his human half right he'd be left as a a vegetable essentially with his yeah and and so the rest of the connection that he had would probably be okay yeah but with the race well, it depends if it just goes up and kills half of them exactly the same way. Right. And and some for some classifications of vegetable, you're effectively, you know, brain dead or something anyway. So, mm-hmm. you know, it would kill him. So the, the parasite might keep his body alive, but for all intents and purposes, mm-hmm. it would kill him. Right. And it would essentially wither away in there for however long it took to wither away because he can't actively feed anymore because he's dead. Right. Depending on how big his reservoir is now, it could be decades, though, if, you know, if Lord Wraith is an indicator. So, well, yeah. even even with the wells he might have been feeding recently, I'm pretty sure Lord Wraith is the exception. Sure. I mean, right. Thomas probably has the potential being his son and all that and being, the, you know, Maggie's son, but he doesn't do that sort of deal because he's noble. Right. So. Thomas is saying, well, I can get Lara to do a whole bunch of things because I'm in danger. It's like, yeah, but then she needs to have everything public that we don't want public. Right. Sort of. But then uh, a big nasty comes up and they break off the conversation to go fight it. Right. Glass breaks and then doesn't like Thomas and Mouse like react. <laughs> yeah. So. Like Thomas does the thing of just talking and then stop and look over. It's like something's happening. Off we right. go. So, and then the Ickawaks, right? Yeah, yeah, that's how. Um, Aha, I said it right. That's Merle to said it. Just go with the Ick from now on. Right. I personally yeah. like Ickukachu. Yeah. Is that based on any pop culture, any lore that you guys know? I'm I'm not familiar with it, but I would not be surprised that he pulled it from their folklore, right? So. Yeah. Like, maybe. Yeah. It's just how you know the courts are kind of based on these tropes of vampires that we. So something South American. So I was just wondering, like, I've never seen any any aches in, in movies or stuff like that before. No, could be original. Whatever. It's an ache. Yeah. Uh, here, uh, let's see. They go fight the ick, and Thomas gets thrown through a wall. And Molly does her one-woman rave spell, I think, a little bit. She she's taunting oh, it, right? Oh. Like she goes, yeah, she goes invisible and taunts it a little bit and some other things. And yeah. then I don't think uh, she's one woman rave until the uh, she needs right. She's a little bit here. Um, well, she she's doing the illusions, and then eventually, like 
Harry gets like knocked out a little bit, right? And then it, the ick at some point hits her with a paint can uh, to like. Yeah, but that was off screen when Harry is talking to the Ebes. So Thomas gets thrown through a wall and Harry is uh, battered. And then Molly is drawing the ick away and Thomas gets up, talks to Mouse and says, we're gonna do it smart and completely ignores Harry. Right. And then the Ebes come and kidnap Harry briefly while the three capable people are fighting the monster. The whole conversation is great. Strange. Oh, this the wizard is so polite. Right. Its ears are defective. Can we take them back? <laughs> we are famous. And that, uh, like, I've looked like I've never been like bamboozled by vampire eyes before, but apparently, like, there are noobs. Like everybody else, because she like she starts to suck him in, right? Ha ha ha. Okay. <laughs> what is this? I mean, that, that is what happens. I don't know why. Why she's laughing at you, but. Do you, okay. do you have your coffee? So Eves talked to Harry and Harry's trying to buy time and there's obviously conflict going on in the red court. Right. He get he gets a little bit more tidbits about how um, Ariana and the Red King may not be, you know, on the same side playing the same, you know, same game and everything like that. Yeah. They lay out options to Harry of how they right. can try to end the conflict fast like gifting the child to the red king or becoming a vampire and trading women it's it's really kind of an interesting conversation because you know on top of the fact that they're just insane right but they're also monsters and so you get that kind of other perspective where they're just like you know they're they're taking it from all sides and seeing seeing the pointers but you know harry usually shuts them down on like well on moral grounds or the fact that like he'd stop being him you know if, if he became a vampire and while the girl would still be alive and the ritual would be stopped like she would be a vampire or she'd be chattel and that's not exactly a win either you know so just mm -hmm. some interesting points and counterpoints for that whole exchange And then he cheats, or so they think he cheats. Which is funny to me, too, right? Because they were like, you cheated. You brought your own demon, which implies, you know, they had one. So the yeah, egg collapses. Well, they brought the egg, and he brings Faust. Right. Yes. And an ice demon. I'm pretty and, sure they say that. And Mouse says that he cheats, but that's much later, so. Yeah. And what did, actually, what did she say? Because the what she how she described uh, yeah okay a demon of its own a mountain ice demon from the land of dreams right which is super cool because it's like yeah. yeah because Tibet is the land of dreams and food dogs are mountain ice demons right yeah and the damage mouse does to it now is beneficial for the fight in the Earl King later right. 
Yeah, like he he hurts it, but it presumably has some kind of regeneration like vampires do, but he, it wasn't able to fully recover because he had kind of crippled it, so. Yeah, Mouse used his whatever version of magic probably is harder for it to heal. Mm-hmm. And so they rescue Harry from the Ebes, and Harry finds that his blue beetle has been crushed. And Thomas says, Lara's going to kill me. That's the third one this year. <laughs> Just it's so heartbreaking going through this book. Like, systematically, uh-huh. everything in his life. Oh, crap. My staff was in there. It's going to yeah. take me a month to make another one. And I need that staff. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he gets another one. No big deal. <laughs> Eventually. Right. Yeah. Spoilers. No. All right. They go back to the apartment, knowing that they can't be there long because, uh, because general danger. And this is when Molly and Thomas get into their unfortunate position. Yeah, they soul gaze, right? So Thomas almost eats her, Molly almost lets him, Mouse tackles him, and he goes away in shame. Yeah. And uh, Harry starts talking about Advil 2, Revenge of the Sith, or something. But he had to use his less... It's illegal, so he has to use the lesser Advil, Advil 1. Oh. He mentions him. Right. It's just not where we burned yet. No, it's not where we burned yet. Mm, not just yet. Tylenol 2, the pain strikes back. That was what the <laughs> quip was. Had to find it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, wait. No, yeah, this is where the fire comes in. Yeah. Okay, I was going to say, I was like, if it doesn't happen now, then there's a loop that I don't remember because <laughs> pretty much from here, my notes go straight to the ramifications. So. Yeah, yeah no, it is here because I think this is where like he's, Jim cleverly strips away everybody who could help or... I have, a, well, I have a pet peeve about this, by the way. So, I mean, so to set it up and then we'll get to your pet peeve, right? So Thomas leaves in shame. Um, I Molly, like, didn't she go to get something or was it hey, Murphy over there? Why is she climbing? But we'll get to it. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, um, you know, Harry's on crutches because he got wounded from the Ick Ick Walks and um, he's on his way back up the stairs and they basically throw a Molotov cocktail right on the stairs. And if he had been any faster, it would have just hit him and been game over. And then he starts to panic that like, he's got upstairs neighbors, totally forgets about the cat. He uses his force rings to like open up to the second level. He gets jumped by the old lady, which is fucking hilarious, you know, uh, and just right. Perfectly legal. And, you know, and, but then also the the comedy, you know, of being deaf, right? It was like, oh my God, it's a fire. And then she's like, no, everything's fine. Oh God, it's a fire. And it's like, yes, can we go now? You know, um, <laughs> an American tell me what a grandfather gun is. Yeah. So the fun thing that we like to do when we introduce new gun laws is that if it was previously legal, but now illegal, then they will get quote unquote grandfathered in to help you know cut down some of the backlash or at least get some support from otherwise you know gun owning individuals and so um like the most recent example would have been like the assault weapons ban of 2004 for the most part like a lot of the guns that were covered in that were grandfathered in so if you owned them prior to 2004 they were technically legal even though if you tried to buy a new one they were banned right 
So theoretically in this case, like I, I don't know the entire history of Chicago's gun laws, but you know, she doesn't have a permit for it because she owned it before the permit law was in place, for example. You know? Okay. So but anyway, nice bit of trivia. Um, you know, they, they get them out the front and then she starts panicking that the upstairs neighbors that I can't remember their name are, are still up there. We're so the Willoughby's. Mr. and Mrs. Oh, Willoughby's. Right. The Willoughby's. God, how do you forget that? Um, cause they're like <laughs> mentioned twice in the entire book series. And yeah, just, that's what I'm saying. Didn't occur to me just now. So, so Harry gets the ladder and starts climbing up the thing on his fucking crutches cause he's a dumbass. Molly's right around the corner. Like, yeah. right around. Well, yeah, Molly, what are you doing? If if she goes up, then he doesn't have a chance to break his back and become the Winter Knight. Yeah, let's let's not do the... But boy, did that actually irk me when I was listening to it this time. Or the fact that if he waited 30 seconds, not only would he not have done it on his own, Sonya could have done it. You know, like, yeah. it's... But he doesn't know that. That's fair. But like I know. in the moment, Harry's not that dumb. Like she's right around. Harry's the a little dumb. Yeah, he's. he's not I think we've already established how dumb Harry is. Right? Not that dumb. That's and, pretty. And dumb. really, but it's it's also a bit of bad luck, right? Because it, a propane tank is what sets that off, right? Like it's yeah. not like you know he tried to go up there and somebody wasn't holding the ladder and he slipped and fell and it was stupid and preventable. An explosion occurred and knocked the ladder out from under him. And then he had a bad landing. So totally fair. That but, that all makes sense. That thing that just doesn't make sense to me that he goes up on crutches when Molly's like ran around the corner. No, and that that I agree with. You know, like. But Molly's a girl, and <laughs> he can't send her into danger, especially not when he's reverting back to his lizard brain of he must be the one in danger. Yes, Harry, we get it. Fire bad. Yeah. <laughs> And Sonya rescues the Willoughby's and uh, Spunkle Creep says like, God in heaven must have sent you. And he's just like, yep, uh-huh. <laughs> and he conveniently has a cargo van that was uh, given to him instead of the subcompact rental car he expected. Right. And he totally stole from those EMTs. He stole medical equipment. So yes. He borrowed. They stole a backboard and put Harry in the van and he picks him up like, you know, by himself, right? Pretty much. Yeah. Like, I know he does it again later, but yeah, it's just like that's how how ripped Sonya is. It's like carrying bodies is not easy. Not that I have a load of experience with that. So no, especially not six foot nine bodies. Right. Yeah, he wouldn't even fit on one of those backboards. His legs would be dangling off. True. Yeah. I take what rip in half. <laughs> also, I, I appreciate the fact that Harry makes a note of the fact that his Russian accent's kind of like not as strong as it used to be. I, I assume that was done for for um, Marster's sake. <laughs> Maybe I just took it as the fact that he's spending a lot of time in America, you know, because none of the other knights are around. So, but. As they're driving away, Harry strapped to backboard, he's realizing all of his personal things are gone. The Star Wars poster, the Mickey Mouse alarm clock, his bed, everything. He can't feel his legs. Oh, God. All right. And then they go to St. Mary of the Angels because where else would they possibly go? We should have gone the first time. This is uh, actually where fade to black important shit happens. But, but we're not going to talk about that, so... I'm Why just, not? <laughs> just 
Not quite, because he, he has to wake up and talk oh, to it, Molly. It between waiting to Black and waking up. That's where the, the whole of Ghost Story plot happens. At, well, after he wakes up and talks to Molly, presumably, right? Because, like, yeah. I don't know. He falls asleep. Technically, in this narrative, in cha- like, that's why it's interesting. In Changes, it's like, fall asleep, waking up, the candles burned down. Then we see in Ghost Story, go back, he fell asleep, there was a full candle, he talks to Molly, change my mind, do the rings, and then falls asleep again. Except also the way that uh, Uriel shows it. It's like, do you remember this moment? And we see this moment when he's saying, it's all your fault, Harry. So that happens. He makes a decision to bring Molly in. He makes a deal with Mab, blah, blah, blah. So it's just that, like, in yeah. this book, this is where that happened. Like, yes. we don't get to see that until another book. Yes. Right. Well, this is probably, I think this is all happening essentially after that now. Because when he wakes up, he says there's a piece of paper taped in with Molly's handwriting on it. So presumably this is after he's already erased his memory. Yeah, exactly. Right. He, like, he falls asleep in the, in the car. When he wakes up, it's happened. Right. He has the, Yes, he's had the conversation with Molly already and given her his plan. Right, and then he wakes up, not remembering it, and goes through the list of things that he still has to do and why he can't do it. And he whistles up Probably an archangel. All these ended in his mind, and he's contact map. Right. Well, and, I, and I'm glad we're having this conversation because I was definitely trying to think of that too, and not having read Ghost Story, you know, for a real long time. Then uh, I was I was curious because you know, yeah, he so he phones up. Uriel, then he'll phone up Mab, but you know, he has a line with Mab just to skip ahead a little bit before we circle back the whole, like, you know, I'm not going to suicide thing. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. Has that happened yet? <laughs> so, well, as far as he's concerned, he, he's not. Right. That's already been arranged. <laughs> right. So, so he does, he starts with Uriel, right? Yes. Actually, and there, say, so he's had a conversation with Kincaid now, too, at this point. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, so the this is kind of interesting, too, right? Because he, he goes through painstaking detail of explaining how he can go through painstaking detail and make, you know, circles in his own mind and whatever. And interestingly, he uses his apartment as like a backdrop still, even though it doesn't exist. And, you know, it shouldn't matter, right? Like, that's a whole lot of details you shouldn't have to worry about imagining, you know, Inception style in a way, right? Where he's like, mm-hmm. you know, oh, you've got the wrong carpet, you know, ha ha, Uriel breaks free. But it's like, you know, Uriel makes the comment, you really think this is going to hold me? <laughs> you know, if, yes. I wa- if I didn't want to be real. It's a very nice circle, yeah. Yeah, so. Um, but Uriel is currently powerless to stop him, which is also interesting because if we're saying that the shenanigans have already happened, right, then Uriel knows theoretically. But it hasn't led to his death yet. He can't interfere yet. Why, though? Because the balance has been tilted, period, right? Because that's the action that breaks the balance. So at that point, he should, like, the most simple way to restore the balance would be say, oh, by the way, all that shit you just did, <laughs> you know, let me undo it. is fine with Harry getting more powers to win tonight, but still wants him to retain, you know, like, free will. That's what kind of what he said up in Ghost Story. It's the whole thing, like, when he whispers in his ear in the end. He's like, she can't make you do anything. Right. He wants the power up on Harry, so he's letting it happen. And that, I mean, I guess that could be, but yeah, it just, I, what, what my main point is, is that if balance is, is the real thing that he's after preserving, then he should have fixed it right now. 
you know, so. Well, I, based on conversation, I can't fully remember out of Ghost Story, it seemed that because it led to Harry's death is why he gets to interfere and send a Harry to Chicago between. Yeah, I imagine there's a lot of things, including and up to Harry potentially realizing what had happened and could have mm -hmm. called it off. So he can't really do anything until the effect yeah. actually takes place. Yeah, because then, uh, I mean, Harry at the moment still has free will to be able to fight against it or figure out a different way. Uh huh. But because it leads to his death, that's when he gets to try to offset the balance and like run around as a ghost and solve your things before you pass through the doors. Gotcha. I think. Uh, but in this conversation, Uriel, he can't do much, but he shows an image of Maggie and he says that it's your daughter and Harry takes that as the best paternity test ever. Right. Nudge, nudge. I mean, Uriel has an agenda here. Right? He's giving, he's giving Harry what Harry needs. And, yeah. and again, kind of like you guys have said, like he does, by doing this, he does kind of open Harry up for doing the next step, which is grab power, right? Yeah. Like, for whatever reason, Uriel can't slash won't heal him because that would be too easy in this context. But Uriel knows what he's going to do next, and Harry even calls him out on it, right? He says, mm -hmm. you know who my next phone call is. And uh, he's like, well, it's your choice. That's free will. But it's like, Come on, dude. Like you, you still kind of pushed him anyway, right? By showing him Maggie and and having those conversations, you know. Like totally. That's why I really feel like Uriel was like intending. Yep, I definitely want you to be get that mantle. Right, and we'll fix this shit later. Well, why wouldn't he? I think all that it does is doesn't so much transform what Dresden uh, uh, is going to do, but change the character of how he's going to do it, because it instills in him some confidence, some surety, and some hope behind the action he already knows he's going to do. So it's not something done purely in suspicion now. It's something done, uh, well, I mean, it, it, validate, it validates his, his real love for the daughter he's never met. I mean, Uriel is the spook of heaven, but he's still an angel and presumably from what we've seen, not a you could, bad guy. You could argue if you want uh, that this is the first steps at balancing the scales because by becoming the knight, it ensures that once Harry's dead, Mab is going to try and keep him alive. Hmm. So if you want to attribute it to being first steps towards balancing the scales, I suppose you could do it that way. Every, like time, Uriel, every time Uriel acts, he interferes and like puts his finger in when he can. There's always a lot of layers to it. Like Every time there's been multiple layers, right? You never... Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's never direct. I mean, there's no reason not to have a Starborn working on the side of the people who directly fight the people who are looking to end reality. So there is that, too. I mean, but, we still don't know what that means, being a Starborn. Uh, it means he can glow in the dark. <laughs> Cannon. All right. Next. Regiment tattoo. Yeah, it was. No. It means he was able to walk through a barrier made out of starlight on Demon Reach. That's what it means. Yeah, that's because he was of Demon I Reach. I know, but you know, but he's a warrior. <laughs> it's both got the. It's both attributed to stars. So yeah, so that's the only thing it could be. Obviously. So so then he drops a quarter, calls somebody else, and that has no ramifications at all for the rest of the series. So. No, never. In fact, I don't even think it's worth talking about. 
it gets a lot it gets a lot easier for him to set him up on like missions right for the book although unless we plan on going unless we plan on going long again this we might have to end up stopping after all this bit again do you want this to go into four parts because that's what's going to happen if we stop now i told you 11. (laughs) want is not simply a statement I think it's it's a worthy division. The, the, the Mab stuff deserves a good amount of talking. And then there's, I forget, there's the Mab, there's the uh, FBI, and then uh, and the uh, Chase at Chichen Itza, and then oh, there's, the say, there's, there's the Mab, there's the hit attempt on him, there's the FBI, there's the duel sure. in the court, and then there's adding up again and going back to the church. Yeah, because yeah. we, we've only covered like a little under half of what I've got noted, and I didn't even note that many things that we've talked about, so I we almost got to go long still. Okay, so chapter 30. If there's, one, if there's one book where we're a little self-indulgent, it's fine if it's this one. It's this going to be half an episode. Right? right. <laughs> Changes in cold days is just really where a lot of things come to fruition, right? Yeah, I think I think we really should emphasize uh, Matt because here this completely transforms the rest of the series. As you guys were sarcastically denying earlier, I know. So I'm just repeating kind of what you're saying. Uh, that doesn't sound like you at all. <laughs> uh, well, thanks. Anyway, uh, yeah. So it it uh, rather than him being that free agent, rather than him having one adventure after another, the last few books have been him to some degree, working for Mab uh, with Ghost Story kind of just being in a quasi way, but uh, fifteen and uh, 14 and 15 for sure were, uh, you know, kill Maeve, work for Nicodemus, or all these Mab's Right. Do what you do. I'm going to point you in the right direction. And I have a good feeling Peace Talks will involve a good amount of that, too. Plus, of course, uh, uh, all the fairy connections with that develop out of uh, his newfound fairy connection, uh, you know, with uh, new lady summer, new lady winter. Well, peace talks at least is initiated by council. For sure. For sure. It's, but he's got both roles and he's going to learn to, uh, to balance his masks. During peace talks for sure. Who's hosting the peace talks? Is that the council? No, Marcon is hosting it. Um, or at least, like Harry's running security. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Marcone is running the thing because it's in Chicago and he's the one with the most territory there. I feel like Ramirez asks him to run security and right, he does. But I don't. Just for the council, not the whole event. Right. Oh, yeah, it might be. I've never actually read the chapter. Otherwise, it makes no sense. Security on behalf of the White Council, not for the whole event. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Well, yeah, I guess part of my, my point is this, this map thing crystallizes a lot of previous uh, plot threads that are now neatly tied up here. When it's completely restarting, it's not like it's going to create some plot thread and let it linger and then just drop it. The uh, the, the death curse, die alone, uh, is is an element here. It's not specific enough, but it, it will happen in this book. But then also the godmother literally shows up and said, I never, I said, Never let her bring you here, and now he did. Right. His back is broken, so it's it's just a, another element of. Uh, it looks like Butcher's directly checking in with all of his plot threads, other than the handful of few that aren't yet uh, resolved, and just tying them all up before moving on to the next half of the series. It's really an elegant solution to uh, to make sure that 
you don't let your you know you don't have the lost game of thrones problem we just have too many things to talk about and you can't pull it off in a satisfying way i mean in many ways changes is kind of the uh uh, and not to go into too many details on the movie but like the end game like it's it's like they're continuing there's more but this is definitely the end of an era a lot is getting tied up here and it's happening and getting resolved and he's getting or maybe it's more infinity war Hmm. It, it's, it's yeah, it's, I figure that that movie's it's basically a two part movie. It's fine. It's it's the same movie, just first half, second half. Yeah, just because yeah. he's getting beaten down so much. I was almost thinking Infinity sure. War. Sure, 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 sure. Yeah, but so this is still endgame because you know the bad guys get dusted. That's true. Right. So. um so he, he gets there, right? And, you know, he starts his back and forth with Mab. And, um, you know, he, he tries to play hard to get, even though she's completely got the upper hand. Uh, you know, and definitely one of the, I mean, I might be skipping ahead, so feel free to jump in. But, it you know, definitely uh, he he kind of taunts her. This is where he mentions, like, well, I could grab, I could summon the coin or. Um, yeah, a little do bit. The, do the dark uh-huh. hallow. You know. I mean, she's kind of suspicious at first of, and she starts doing the circle around him on the stone table. Right. And Leah is saying, I told you, never let her bring you here. And he's like, well, I'm here anyway. Right. And it's been forced by circumstance. So if you don't start talking to me, I'm walking. Right. Ironic, because, you know, he can't, but sorry, too soon. Yeah. Well, he can <laughs> walk there because he has a full working body and it's naked and the stone table is cold. Right. Pulled on his butt. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, she, like like Ben was kind of alluding to, like she calls back to, you know, him in Grave Peril. And, you know, she's like, so if I accept your deal and, and we formalize this and whatnot, what's going to prevent you from trying to get out of it like last time? Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's like, oh, uh, you know, I won't suicide. Um, so that's why I was like, uh, he must have done this already probably because that's a little too on the nose, I think. Um, he already had made the call to Kincaid, at least by the time that he talked to Mab, because he doesn't think that he's doing it, but he still comes out of it with certainty that he's going to die. Right. And um, the other thing is that because it's Mab, and we've seen her do this in other ways, like I think she's already, like she fucking knows. She doesn't know what specific probably, but she knows that Harry is going to try and get out of it in some way. So yeah. I think that's why, like, you know, towards, well, it's it's in Ghost Story, right, with the big reveal. Like, you see, she had made preparations, and she she had ways around that anyways, because, you know, obviously he duped Leah, and he's he's already shown that he's willing to take his own life to do it, or at least mm-hmm. wager his own life to do it. So she's got to be ready for that. Yeah. So, uh, and she says that if you accept this deal, then you will be mine, blood, bone, and breath which I thought was interesting because she leaves out mind and soul, you know, which she probably can't touch soul anyway, but she wants his mind intact probably. But, you know, yeah. she's, so I, I, I find that kind of interesting that she was so specific because that means something for the she, especially with how we've seen like Leah operate. So. And lie. Right. And like, it, she cannot take his free will away. She can make like, like Uriel, Uriel says. Well, and that's that's a good point too, right? That kind of feeds into Uriel's thing, you know, his seven words in Ghost Story. So, mm-hmm. and yeah. what Harry says in response to Mab, it's like, okay, fine, you piss me off, I'll do exactly what you say, nothing more. 
Right, right. When she wants him to fight his way out of things and do what he does best. What right. I found interesting in their conversation is that she's still using Leah as a mouthpiece because she is so enraged that if she spoke, she would damage him. Right. But she's not used Leah as a mouthpiece before. No, not Leah, because Leah was still probably a she-sickle. But now Leah's fine, and back to her normal, crazy, psychotic self. But Mab is enraged because her daughter was infected, and she keeps asking Harry, why? Tell me why you're accepting it now, and it's on behalf of his daughter, but it still seemed a bit foreign to her. Well, I mean, she said for love, you know, that uh, so many but terrible things are done for love. Yes, but while she is reacting and still enraged at the damage done to her daughter, she it takes effort for her to understand that he's accepting on behalf of his daughter. Doesn't I, seem mean, I don't know. I don't know that it took her effort. She just seemed like she was like she'd seen the story a million times before type deal. You know, this is kind of par for the course for her and, and Leah and all them as to well, what they experience and what they make deals based off of. Right. But, but, but she, it, does, she does seem to get it, though, right? Because she does she shows him a live image of Maggie to kind of like push him into it, like his will right. results at that point. So she right. gets it enough to manipulate him. <laughs> but she doesn't get why he's put he's calling for her to be able to accept the deal now, even though he understands she knows that his daughter is in danger, but she still makes him say why he's accepting it now. Well, and there, I mean, there's a lot of reasons for that. I could imagine, you know, maybe she, she needs him to say it as part of the, the ritual of it, you know? So. Well, plus then it, it can only help to solidify it in his mind, you know, right. Re remember why you're doing this type deal. Right. Just keep driving that point home, make it more certain he's going to do it. But yeah, so he has to off slate, which is always nice. Yes. It's the first time that he uses a knife to save the world, right? Wow. I just thought it was an interesting parallel. So Yeah, let's say it's the first time he uses a knife to uh, unleash power. Okay. And then what it does with that is, you know, it starts the, the path to saving the world, and then he closes it with another one. Right. Uh, and then you get the the little line about uh, you know the stars will rain down before Mab fulfills not her word. So mm -hmm. kind of important because that's foreshadowing all the way the hell out to the BAT potentially. Yeah, so. it's based on those titles. Right. So when he sees Slate, she had carved into his skin and his teeth the word traitor in all sorts of different languages, which is an image that he got from Sharkface in cold days of her carving on his teeth. And the only thing that gave it away with Sharkface is that it smelled like steel. Hmm. Sorry, weird little tidbit I noticed. Interesting, yeah. And she also uh, makes a note of saying that she's proud of her work, um, that the Romans were hobbyists considering what they did to Jesus yeah. compared to what Slate went through. Oh, that's three, just because he looks days. at Slate and goes, Jesus, it's like, nah, much better than that. Right. And then they bang, so. No, yeah. first he kills her and then they bang. First he kills him. Well, yeah, we talked about that part, though. Did so. we, though? 
Did we talk about it okay. enough? All right. So he slowly gives him an Italian necktie, right. and then his blood starts pouring out and goes through channels in the table. To I was going to say, it's only because he does what he always does, and he hems and haws for like 17 more paragraphs before he just finally does it because she shows him Maggie. Yeah. Right. And then they bang. <laughs> Although he says that you can't have sex with a hurricane. It's like, that's probably true, but I think she was a woman, sort I'm of. Sure, somebody's tried. You can't, <laughs> you know, you can't impregnate a hurricane, and she has two kids, so. I mean, she's got body parts. This is a classic. This is a classic joke, anyway, right? Because when they come, they're wet and wild. But when they leave, they take your house and your car. So, yeah, well, he didn't have to worry about that. Right? <laughs> he already didn't have a house and a car. Yeah, yeah, so he's got nothing to lose, right? Exactly. He's good. Oh, and Mab says Leah may indulge herself on the quest against the Red Court. Right. Uh -huh. Yeah, like me. To what extent may I exercise my power? You may indulge yourself. <laughs> indulge in us. Yeah. And then he w wakes up to being shocked by an AED. Yeah. Clear. Hexus. EKG, not whatever you said. A AED. AED. EKG is a test. AED, um, automatic electronic. I don't know. Whatever, so, butters. Yes, being shot by butters. Yep. Yeah. Fantastic. And then butters gets shot in the back because bad timing. Uh -huh. And then he freezes the gunman with his first ice spell as the winter night, Arctis. So. Freaka. Arctis. Great. All these new spells. Yeah, well, it's not like he wasn't hopping on that bandwagon real quick. Right. Um. I know they have a talk in here before they find out that Butters like survives because of the body armor, but I don't remember if anything's important other than he finds out that you know Susan called the hit, right? So, well, uh, that happens. Uh, let's see, yeah, so, I, don't I mean, there's a the whole scuffle, right? He Arctis is the guy. That's right. He knows Butters is alive because Butters uses the AED wires to shock the guy, clear, mm -hmm. and zaps him again after he gets like knocked out or whatever. So. Yeah. Yeah, and then they kind of take the gunman away. They talk to Butters a little bit, and Butters goes and talks to Fort Hill, I think, to see what happened to him because he possibly right. broke his jaw. Right. The gunman hits him. Um, yeah, Fort Hill like was wailing on the guy, gets his jaw all swollen up. So we have this fun little writing pad thing. But like they keep trying to sit on Harry, right? Like all everybody like piles on Harry and he's like, get up. I don't have time to explain. That's a little <laughs> bit before the gunman comes in, I think, because Fort Hill is able to talk and says, Good Lord, man, your heart wasn't beating three minutes ago. Oh, right, gotcha. Right. Yeah. So he talks to Fort Hill, he says he's gonna go find out stuff, and he goes to talk to Stevie D. Very yeah. calm, very calm guy. Right. Well, he's a professional. Why wouldn't he be calm? And and he's strapped to the backboard at that point. And that's when, you know, he he tries to play coy and whatever, and then Sonya does his whole like dig board. I break break board. <laughs> I put, put in incinerator. All right. Really leaning on that Russian accent there. Right. But he doesn't really he doesn't really budge until uh he mentions Marcone. Right. That's the that's the straw that broke the camel's yeah. bank, as it were. Because they don't, he doesn't believe that Harry or Sonia would actually do anything to him, but he knows Marcone would. Right. 
but then Stevie says that it was Susan that hired the hit based on he was able to identify her from the picture in Harry's wallet. Right. But no, not Susan, probably. He seems to think Ariana did it, or it could have been uh, Esmeralda, which is better. Right. And then, you know, it's it's kind of interesting, right? Because he, he has this whole thought about like, well, why why send a, a gunman, you know, with a pistol? Why not use a high-powered rifle? <laughs> you know, why? I thought that was some more fun foreshadowing, so. Yeah. yeah. I wonder why that was in his mind. <laughs> it was it's just a random thought. Yeah. Probably doesn't mean anything. So that whole conversation leads to Harry going like, oh yeah, where is Susan and Martin? They are kind of missing. And they go to Pizza Express to summon up information. And Sonia is like, you're going to talk to Pizza? I think yeah. there is logic here that does not translate well from English into sanity or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Sonia, stick your fingers in your ears. Why? Because <laughs> I'm going to say something to the pizza. Right. I'm going to say something to the pizza. I don't want you to hear it. This whole scene is yeah. Good. Yeah, Dude, you then, speak Russian, Harry. You just speak it, don't you? <laughs> right. And Toots the size of a falcon now, so he's getting big. I don't think he's a falcon yet. Yeah. Uh, it says that the size of a a hunting falcon. So falcons aren't fifteen fifteen inches. That's pretty big for Toot. Like he started much smaller than that. So yeah, I guess. And guess and what? It's as big as he's been to date. So, you know. <laughs> so he's like a Ken doll now. Right. Then there's the indignation that Toot has at being called a Domovoy when he's clearly a Polovoy. Mm. <laughs> you are a drug dealer to tiny fairies. Shame. <laughs> and then he, Sonya learns out that, you know, he and Mab bumped uglies because. Yes. Right. So, Everybody knows because it was in every drew do or dew drop and every puddle and every reflection in all of fairy. Right. So you, you tap, tap that the, ass. The ass. <laughs> Presumably it was fun. Right. Sonia. <laughs> Did your tongue get stuck to her like on that Christmas time show? Yeah, such a <laughs> first time Harry's gotten Eddie in how long and this is what he's gotta put up with. Mm-hmm. Right. So then they find out that Susan and Martin are, well, Susan's being held by the FBI, presumably, right? From the yeah. fair. Yes. And when Martin's they just hanging around, he right. Go in. When they show up, they've got some homeless guy trying to get money off of them. And it turns out it's Martin. It's like, holy crap. <laughs> so then he actually gives them some money. He's never getting those 25 cents back. So, so they go in to talk to Tilly and Murphy's there. Conveniently, yeah. yeah. But what what I liked about this scene, though, too, is right is like they they start cluing in Tilly a little bit about what's going on because Dresden doesn't have a lot of time and do, just doesn't give a crap, and he's like, "I'll just take her," you know, <laughs> like we don't have time for this. And then Murphy, like, it's not really acknowledged, but Murphy makes a lot of direct statements to Tilly, and you know, Tilly gets more and more clued in just because of his little lie detector, right? And so he's like, "Wait a minute." You're being serious, <laughs> you know. It's like the because she she's just telling it to him straight because she knows that he's gonna know and pick up on it faster that way. 
Uh, I thought that Murphy, Murphy's being straightforward. Harry's corroborating everything. Harry gives the note to Susan and like tell him everything. So he's getting it from three different people and he knows they haven't spoken to each other in right. several minutes, hours. Right, right. <laughs> well, what do you think? It sounds like the plot of a lousy novel. Like, come on, lampooning himself. <laughs> And then Tilly's talking to Susan and Harry asks Murphy to take care of his will, whatever there is of that, because there's nothing left. Right. Because he's very, very certain he's going to die, even though he can't explain why he's certain. Then that's that's a good point. That's that's an interesting little bit of foreshadowing too. He says, I'm not gonna do a suicide, but deal with my will when I'm gone. Right. Right. And then the shrieking. And well, I mean, Rudy gets there at some point, yeah. right? Rudolph so. shows up and Harry just suddenly wants to make him an icicle. I right. like, that's unusual. I was like, no. yeah, Rud Rudolph is, you know, he's a dick. He's always been a dick. He, but oh boy, in this scene, is he just like, yeah. I wouldn't blame Harry. Well, well Harry starts off with, hi, Rudy, you have a beautiful home. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, but I just love it when the vampires scream and interrupt him. And he's like, what the hell is that? And it's like, hey, yeah, Rudy, remember that night we met? <laughs> it's like Rudy knows. Deep down, he knows. But he refuses to acknowledge it. And right. then when he hears that, he just like, he, he goes full PTSD. Yeah. So they just uh, decide to tell him, it's terrorists, because you're not going to believe us anyway. Right. And then they get to Tilly and Susan who has been strapped to a chair. But uh, when Tilly starts figuring out how they're gonna go through the building, he's like, but that's how the cartels do it. And Tilly's like, yeah, that's what I've been telling you the past 15 oh, minutes. Right, were you paying attention? And then she rips a table leg off. Yeah. And he's like, huh, okay. <laughs> so they, they have some nice, you know, scenes of them kind of like skulking through the, the building while you hear a gunfire in the distance and screams. Mm -hmm. and Telling I, everyone to be in sunlight as much as they can. Right. And I think the power goes out, right? So oh, that happened within like the first second with the screaming. Finally, well, maybe not the first time, but almost the first time, Harry uses soul fire in a way it's like meant to be used. Yeah. Right. Is is that how he pulls off the illusions? Yeah, he pours soul fire into them. That's why they're so realistic, right? And that well, and that's the thing so that. Yeah, like I I know it gets brought up in the books, but like I tell people a lot. Like Harry acknowledges this, but then he's like, pretends to forget or is just dumb or something, right? Because that's why like he was able to do Big B's crushing fist in the in the. Uh, in the aquarium, right? And fuck up a Denari yeah. with that. But when he throws it in the fire, it sure, it makes it hotter, something, blah, 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 but it doesn't seem to be nearly Hard, as more harder to avoid, kind of, or something for like, I think, I think he uses it to like penetrate others, like magical defenses easier. Sure. But it doesn't seem to be nearly as beneficial as when he does something like this, like when he builds a construct with it, right? When yeah. he's building something. Um, so he makes very lifelike, you know, recreations with an illusion that he's not really good at, which is also fantastic. More of his practice kind of coming through, plus the soul fire, like you said, to the point where I think it was 
who was it? Was it Murphy or Tilly that they, they like turn around? They're like, holy crap, <laughs> you know, because they like walked the two. They, they saw the people split off and leave and then turn around and they're still there because the illusion's so good, you know. Something like, yeah. And then so Harry and Susan with the illusions that are super lifelike are continuing through the building and they split off, the others split off and try to get back to the church, I think. Uh, and then they get chased out of the building and through a way to <laughs> land suspiciously safe in the Never Never. Weren't, weren't they, they were in the cafeteria, weren't they? In the FBI building? That I'm not sure about. Because I, I thought that that was the parallel there is that they're in the cafeteria in the FBI so. building and then they wind up in the dining hall of the Arrow King. So I mean, I don't think they're in the cafeteria. Maybe they are. But I mean, I get the correlation between the FBI and the Arrow King's hall. So, like, I, I mean, I understand that they're, really? both hunt, they're both hunters. Like FBI oh. hunts people. And... Fair enough. That's the, that's the correlation I made in my mind anyway. It was in the hallway. They were running away. Yeah. Okay. Just just in a hallway. Interesting. Yeah. It's a diagonal rip in the fabric. It's crooked and off-center to the hallway. It hung there. And they jumped through it. This is also where Harry thinks he's finally done it. It's like, oh, went to some place I didn't know, and there's no there's no floor beneath me. We're fine. <laughs> As he does his little girly scream and falls five inches or whatever. So... <laughs> And then they realize that they're surrounded by goblins and they make reference to the Hobbit movies, I think. Or yeah, she's like, you like, he's like, you like those movies too. Right. It took, it took me a second because it's been so long. Right. But like at the time it was relevant pop culture, like they were still coming out and whatever, but yeah, it was like, what the hell movie are they referencing? I'm like, Oh shit. Lord of the Rings, of course. <laughs> so and then they realize that they're talking to the Earl King. And this is when Harry has to do the hospitality game. It right. does fairly well. Yeah. And I mean, you got to ask yourself in hindsight, right? Does he do fairly well because now he is, you know, a winter night, you know, that maybe somewhere part of the mantle is like subconsciously feeding him some of that. But, um, but as you guys pointed out, he was playing the game even before that with Vateron. So. Also, he's playing against someone who doesn't usually play it. Right. Which which is part of the fun, right? Like, he kind of wordsmiths, you know, the Earl King, where he's like, you know, oh, our guests, and he's being sarcastic, but with the she, like, only what is spoken matters. Like, there is no sarcasm, <laughs> you know? So. Called out by old-fashioned English, my own words. Right. And then he's like, maybe I should keep you here for a century. Ah, oh, yikes. Uh -uh. No, no. Yeah. Not good. Be like, totally within your power, but please don't. Because yeah. Matt would be very mad. Right. Yeah. Invoke your lady again at your own peril. Right. And see what follows or something like that. Yeah. Yes. I'm sure um, it would have been a nice dinner side chat. <laughs> we would have gotten peace talks like five years earlier. So. <laughs> so then because the Eves managed to get there as well, they both have competing claims for validity as to who's intruding. And Earl King is like, what do I do? And some like, was it Rafferet decides to say, just make them kill each other and go off that way. 
they totally like uh, worm tongue kind of characters, right? Like all we saw again. Well, there was two of them. Yeah. Right. There's Ordulaka and there's Referut. And you know the reason people get banged is because one of them ended up giving those wolf belts out. You think so? What? Maybe. Huh? <laughs> well, I was, I was, it was a long time ago, you know, back when people were talking about who could have given out the wolf belts. And it just, I was like, well, maybe it was one of those uh, goblins that got named because there's literally no reason for them to get a name. Not yet. So I far. had always assumed that they were just characters out of mythology. Right. Granted, I've never actually looked that up, so I can't prove it, but... Kind of like just... Iggy Walks that I can't find a reference to, so... Yeah. yeah. I, I like... Uh, speaking to Iggy Walks and the Eeps, I like how they were all like, yeah, 100 years! Sounds great! As long as he doesn't interfere, like, in Chichen Itza, we're all for it. Let's go. Right. Which, I mean, kind of brings up a question, too, right? So, total side car that we have no time for, right? So one of the theories about, you know, the, the ritual is that maybe the Red Court didn't get entirely wiped out because the Eves were still in the Earl King's court and protected by the magic, right? But if that were the case, then the Eves, you know, like, I know they didn't want Dresden to interfere, right? But how would that have affected the bloodline curse if he had been in the Never Never when it went mm -hmm. off? Clearly he would have survived, but he would have also been the, the link of the conduit back to Ebenezer, right? So, would it I mean, have circuited and basically stopped it anyway? Like, I, I assume it would have stopped at 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 him and Susan. So Maggie would have just died for nothing, right? Well, so, it would have gotten Ebenezer if Ebenezer wasn't also in the Never Never. Well, but, but it, the way I see it with the bloodline is that it has to go from one to the next to the next, right? And and I want to say it's even described that way at some point. Um, but but the other thing, and really why I'm bringing it up, is because you'd think that the Eves would know that, you know that like they yeah, but they would have seen it done or heard it described or something like that. So the but they don't actually curse, want it to happen, right? Yeah, because Ariana's pushing it. It's kind of a bonus for the king, but he doesn't actually care about doing the curse. That's Ariana's game. Okay. That's being set up. All right. well, I don't know about that. I mean, he it may not have been his intent all along, but he once Dresden takes care of her, he's perfectly happy to just snap and be like, yeah, no, sure. that. put her it's on the, the altar. It's the Blackstaff, it's Harry, probably the most powerful warden, as he says, like, have his cake, eat it too, and everything. But what the, like, what the main objective is, is like stopping Ar uh, Ariana, uh, stopping her from taking power but and controlling him. And, and I hear what you're I hear what you're saying too, but like he was still priming the pump. So he was full well gonna use that power, I think, right? Like that's the whole thing. Like he had been doing these sacrifices for days, we find out. You know, so whether he wanted the curse to happen or not, you know, he was still priming the pump. So he probably was gonna use it somewhere, if not, you know, on Maggie just because she's there, you know, even if it was Ariana's idea. It wasn't a bad one. You know, I mean, I imagine that he was kind of like politically strong-armed into it. Like, it would make him look bad to say, no, Ariana comes with this great idea. Here's the kid. Take care of the Blackstaff and Harry Dresden. Yeah, but that's not like... That's Ariana's personal vengeance because of what happened to Ortega. The Red King, yeah, it's, a, it's advantageous, but he... Even though he doesn't seem to care, he's perfectly quick to 
jump on doing it anyway, and Eb hasn't even showed up yet. Yeah, I mean, of course he is, because, you know, it's the Black Staff and the most powerful warden, like, standing. It's a big blow to the White Council. I mean, I tend to think what sparked this conversation, at least, is a moot point anyway, because I don't think the Ebes are around, because that just makes the goblins and the Earl King's Dominion look kind of stupid. If I they mean, they killed, killed them, or, like, they, they might have taken their time. Right. Yeah, but I mean, they take their time, but that means then what they survived and they either let them go or they escaped. That's no, right. I mean I don't think we'll see them again. But they might die and not have been might not be dead until Harry's dead, like from old age. Yeah, it's it all it all comes down to tropes, right? Like, sure, I, I understand what you're saying, but we haven't seen their bodies, therefore they're still alive until we see a body. Or until the Earl King shows up and says, oh, you know, Harry's like, oh, shit, what about the Eves? He's like, those fuckers, I killed them years ago, you know, or whatever, so. I don't know, we didn't see Ortega's body, and he managed to die. He did get crushed by a satellite, so. These guys have been in the hands of mutant Terminators, apparently. (laughs) Right. With personal, like, hands-on desire. Anyway. So... The fight. I mean, I guess we're going to have to save that for next time. <laughs> yeah, I would say so because it's a fun fight. Yeah. Right. I pretty much got to drop off anyway. It. Well, then. Know, you, you guys can keep going, but I'm just saying. No, I, I think this is an okay stopping point. We are in the middle. I was going to say, it's 37 and 38. That's not far off what we expected to do. So. We're kind of in the middle of 36, so you can finish that up, start at 37 next time. There we go. Cool. So, so they have to do yeah. All right, Ben, feel free to continue. Yeah, this has been the Dresden Files Podcast, the production of Broken Dress Network. Thank you for listening to the Dresden Files Podcast, where we talk about cows and the Dresden Files. It was sheep. sheep. Uh, Jesus, man. <laughs> this is why people don't think we're professionals. <laughs> Among other reasons. We don't have much banter. I figure, I figure a podcast without too much banter is doing just fine. Uh, yeah, so we also have other uh, podcasts for the Broken Jars Network. Great Scott is finishing up. Go ahead and check that out. It's about The Office. Not the American Office. Oh, wait. Not the British Office, but yes, the American Office. The television shows starring Michael Scott as Steve Carroll. And uh, check it out. if It's pretty good. There's also High Fantasy on Hiatus. There's also Sim Talk about professional simulations in the professional environment. Uh, it's actually doing pretty well. And then, then there's this uh, D&D thing. You check it out, brokenjars.xyz. What, when's the D&D uh, or the uh, DM or the Game Master? Uh, it is on. I'm just checking the calendar. Because we're super professional and we know yeah. when we record. <laughs> I have it in my calendar. It's, like it's on the first, the first of June. Oh, yeah, first of June. It is premiering, so before we have our next episode, there will be an episode of that to be determined. To be determined. To be determined is a wonderful name for a podcast. I highly approve. But uh, go ahead, check out uh, Dresden Files podcast next time, part three of seven on changes. <laughs> <laughs> best, best four out of seven. Damn right.